You're listening to World of Noise on X-Ray FM and the X-Ray Podcast Network. I am, as ever, your host, Bob Ham. Each week on the show, I spotlight the people that make up our vast and varied music scene here in Portland through interviews and features. And this week, we're going to get a little heavy. Later in the show, I'll be speaking with the members of Zile, a fairly unclassifiable duo that works in the space where psych rock, sludge metal, and experimental music meet. But first... Like any number of beloved bands, Sleet Mute and Night Mute burned brightly and quickly faded away. The noise rock quartet, made up of friends who connected initially in Anchorage, Alaska before relocating to New Orleans, and then here to Portland in the early aughts, they bonded over an interest in making music that was unrelenting, rhythm-heavy, and loud. It was both a reaction to their interests in punk and grindcore and noise music, but also to what they saw as the fairly uninspiring indie scene here at the turn of the century. It resulted in a flurry of activity, basement shows and house shows around town, that found them fans and Nathan Houchell from The Gossip, and John Weiss, a noise musician and a member of the band Sissy Spacek. Sleepy went up touring with The Gossip down the West Coast and had their sole EP released on Nathan's label Fast Weapons. And through his help, they had a track on a 7-inch EP released by Kill Rockstars. But interpersonal issues split the band apart, and they lost momentum and called it quits. But John Weiss never forgot about the band, and just last month released a CD of the complete discography of Sleep Mute Night Mute through his label Helicopter Records. This seemed like a great opportunity to take stock of this cult band and what made their sound so immediate and unforgettable. To do so, I sat down with Nate Preston, guitarist for the band who still calls Portland home. Fair warning, we recorded outside the X-Ray Studios in a somewhat noisy locale, so you'll hear a bit of background chatter and rattling throughout this interview. But as you might hear in the background in the music, it's a pretty fitting backdrop. How does it feel to have this CD out in the world? Well, to be honest, I am shocked. I was kind of shocked. First okay. of all, it happened and I didn't... You know, we kind of all lost touch with me, with each other, and so I didn't even know it was coming out until it was out. Oh, wow. Yeah. A little unusual, but we, we worked it out. Okay. Yeah. Were, so. were you concerned? Well, I have, I'm kind of a hothead, so I was, <laughs> I was pissed off at first. But we worked, like I said, we worked it out. You know, we were just, we were all really good friends a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Kind of went our separate ways. And I've had enough, I, I feel like they just wanted to go ahead and, get it done and they knew that involving me would uh, ruin it you know <laughs> yeah I mean it was like I said we were all really good friends me mm-hmm. Charlie and Laney are from Alaska right you know and yeah but like I you know Laney and I used to be in a relationship mm-hmm. sometimes when relationships end the people don't stay friends and yeah I mean we all just kind of lost touch so I think it was more just a matter of like Charlie's friend John wanted to put it out Charlie was the the point of contact for right. the band. Yeah, so it, it all ended up being a little fine. But I was <laughs> I was I was upset at first. I'll admit it. Yeah, yeah. Music was really important to me a long time ago. I mean, really, it, it still is important to me. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, uh, I mean, I, how about this? I was I was really ambitious with this band and with other bands, but I was really lazy. 
you know and so those two didn't work out so right um and it was really it wasn't cool to say that you wanted to be in a band that was successful back then didn't matter how like out there or ridiculous it was right you know i i, I wanted to people to hear the music and to perform in front of people mm-hmm. but that didn't jive with the you know fake humility portland attitude back in the day yeah so i guess when the band ended i was just like ready to when that band ended another band ended i was just ready to stop being a musician for a while you are know? you playing music now uh i i'm uh, by myself yeah okay i'll be the next uh cassette tape loner musician there you go yeah <laughs> but uh but i like i kind of like oddly i like songs now i don't like back then we were listening you know i liked sonny chirac and linda chirac that album yeah and that band harry i liked a lot I don't know if you can say that on your recorder. That's Probably okay. not on the radio. I might bleep that part out, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> it's, they're, they're a great band. They are a great band. Yeah. yeah. White House and... Or no, it's not White House. I don't like White House. I meant the Dead Sea White House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When that came out on CD in the 90s, that was like my intro into this whole other world of mm-hmm. music. But, um, yeah, I just kind of... Dis, I, I, I disidentified as a musician, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just wanted to do something different. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so you said that you and Lainey and Charlie got to know each other in Alaska. Yeah. Correct. So how how did you guys sort of fall into each other, fall into each other's orbits at that time? Well, through the really kind of hard to believe but amazing, uh, you know, underground music community in Alaska. This is around Anchorage, right? In, yeah, Anchorage. Okay. Yeah. They there were a lot of great bands that were doing kind of just super avant garde stuff, but mm-hmm. you know being in Alaska nobody thought to record it or put it out on record I feel like if any of those bands put out their own little records it would be you know there'd be documentaries about it totally it was that it was that amazing wow yeah so we you know so I was I was not an important person in that scene you know <laughs> I was just a, a kid that was exposed to great music mm-hmm. through like older you know older crazy creative types in yeah. Alaska. Yeah, so that's how we all met. Okay. Just through that scene. Yeah. So, uh, you guys didn't start playing up there. You took until you guys were here in Portland. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we just, when you when you grew up in Alaska, mm-hmm. if you aren't gonna, you know, buy guns and get into the, you know, an oil or fishing job, right. you gotta go somewhere. <laughs> so we all kind of just ended up moving to Portland yeah, I think I, I think Lainey and I reconnected, and she moved to Portland because I was here. Okay, you know? and then Charlie moved to Portland because he had other friends here. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was just back then we either moved to Seattle or Portland, mm-hmm. so we were the ones that ended up in Portland. Okay, yeah, but we, I don't think we decided to start a band. You know, we were all living in different places and just ended up here. Okay. Yeah. The way Lainey described it in a way was that you all sort of. Um, sort of ran in the same circles were hanging out of the same houses and sort of stuff and it felt like it felt like a very organic thing that you guys started playing together I mean, maybe I'm no it, I mean it was um, because yeah up in Anchorage Charlie and I were into different scenes yeah you know what I mean but being from a place like Alaska is a lot to have in common with, with, with someone <laughs> you know so yeah you, you run into a guy you barely know from Alaska in Portland in 1999 or 2000 and suddenly you're you just you're gonna have to be good friends right you can speak the same kind of you know you know redneck language I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or you know we're not rednecks but you know we just it's a it's a bizarre place to be from so we uh yeah 
Um, but yeah, so I mean, Portland back then was a lot of uh, really, you know, nice like tea sipping cardigan wearing indie rockers that played in terrible bands and, and I liked all those people but I hated the bands yeah so, you know we just wanted to do something the complete opposite of that mm-hmm. and yeah but oddly though people in Portland anyway kind of responded to it yeah yeah so and it sounded like at least the way the lady described it, it was basically like Charlie was kind of the linchpin of this whole thing that he was kind of the 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 X factor of this band. I don't know if that's <laughs> if you would feel the same way. Uh, well, no. He, he, the way he played drums was, was unique. Yeah. You know, anyone can, can. I like that saying. You're only as good as your drummer. Yeah. You know. So. You know, I, I just we all just did our own. We we definitely all did our own thing. You know, rather than try to find a sound and mimic it. You know, you just we just kind of. You know, it's like experimental cooking. Just throw a bunch of stuff in the in the pot, see what works. There was no. Um, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. We need a song that goes like this, and that's kind of how I think about music now. Yeah. Well, I listen to a lot of my favorite albums. I'm like, you know, my, a lot of my favorite albums are three or four really great songs, and then a bunch of <laughs> songs. You know, <laughs> like Brian Eno's first couple records. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of songs that I don't need to listen to, but there's like Blank Frank is one of my favorite songs ever. Oh yeah. That's a, you know. But there's a, there's this rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. If you listen to our music, there's no rhythm at all. It's just all just you know <laughs> fast and annoying. Yeah. Did it come pretty quickly? That sound was it? Was there any trial and error involved in finding your the sleep mute sound? No, I mean I, <laughs> I realized back then I was a mediocre, if not terrible, guitar player. So <laughs> the life hack was just tune your guitars in an interesting way yeah and you know um so i've spent a long time just messing around with detuned guitars in the mm-hmm. in the tra- tradition of sonic youth you know I, when you're a teenager and you read about detuned thurston moore guitars and you're yeah. like oh yeah i could do that yeah <laughs> so that's stick a screwdriver in the strings yeah yeah exactly so that's i mean oddly now i i sort of know how to play guitar and mm. I my music is not as good I guess <laughs> yeah but you know I, I was never I just I just liked I like I like the guitar mm-hmm. you know I like guitars and, and guitar amps yeah so I never we never used any pedals or anything like that right just amps and guitars there was a very I feel like percussive quality to everything you guys are playing like very rhythmic centric yeah. sound well, yeah. I would listen to a lot of hip hop and then just steal some of those rhythms, or <laughs> oh, not okay. steal, but play along. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I I worked with a guy who played in uh, some 480 band in the 80s. I can't remember which ultra vivid scene, maybe. Oh wow! And uh, his name is Byron. He was the he played in he played drums in a bunch of 80s pre you know like kind of REM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bands. I think I know. I don't know his last name off the top of my head, but I think I know who you're talking. I don't about. remember his last name, but he's really, yeah. really nice guy. I also worked with uh, with with 
Mikey from Drunks with Guns. Oh wow! Yeah, and him. Everybody there was older, and they were all played in, uh, you know, some some Wikipedia eighties <laughs> band. But uh, he was like, yeah, the the in that band. This here's what you do: you just put on Velvet Underground and Nico in one room and you go into the other room and you play along and whatever comes out that's your song that was his songwriting wow I think the other people have adopted similar kind of you know yeah. strategies but he was like that's the key to writing songs you know or at least that's what that guy did okay uh, so but I, I you know when you when you sort of like you know, I also I, I failed at music and I also failed at art mm-hmm. art school. So sometimes you look at a blank canvas and you got all these art supplies, and you're just like, I don't know what to where to start. What do you <laughs> What do I want to do? I, mean, I don't even know if these guys know this. They probably would dispute this, but I would just, you know, listen to hip hop music and mm-hmm. come up with weird percussive rhythms over that. But the music obviously doesn't sound like hip hop. No, you know? no. It was just a jumping off point because, you know, I'm not very creative. <laughs> well, it still sounds like that does sound pretty creative to me, and it sounds like it was also, you know, you in a band like that kind of like sleep me, and it's like anything is possible. You guys yeah. can just do whatever. Yeah, and there were a lot of you know bands like our contemporaries that well first of all there were a lot that were a lot better than us Mm. and then there were a lot that were a lot worse you know and I think a lot of them maybe didn't have that kind of jumping off point right that I that we had you know we're like we're gonna jump off from somewhere Mm -hmm. so anyway were you for like sort of sharing a lot of the same musical references too or were you all coming at it from different points um I think Lainey and I had very similar taste in music. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a big... If you do the Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlap. But sure. Like Charlie's into all sorts of, you know... He was into all sorts of grindcore and metal and yeah. stuff that I... You know, I grew up in the 80s when skaters were punks and you hated metalheads. So right. I'm not a metalhead, metal but I liked... I mean, I like the... I like it when some people do it. I like it when Charlie does it. Yeah. And then Alder, you know, she likes... She likes Madonna and stuff like that. She likes <laughs> like pop music. Yeah, you know she likes she likes all different types of music, I guess. But, sure. You know, she, I don't think that would have necessarily been the band that she came up with, but, okay. but she was on board. You know, we're yeah. friends. It was like a drinking club <laughs> disguised as a band. It just happened to make some songs and record a record or two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Like I said, we didn't take it very seriously. It, yeah. I wish I could go back and take it more seriously because yeah. there were a lot of you know crazy opportunities and people emailing us with, do you want to do this? Do you want to play this fast? Do you want to, you know, and I just didn't follow up on any of it. Wow. Yeah. Was yeah. that surprising at all to, to have these people kind of out of nowhere embracing the band and wanting to hear you guys come play? Well, I felt like I cheated because I had a lot of, uh, you know, like my friend Nathan plays in the, the band The Gossip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, he's a, he was a really good supporter. 
I mean, we I don't think we ever would have put out a record without him. Right, because he put out both of the yeah. records that you guys did. Well, the, the, there was the, like a Kill Rock Stars thing, yes, but I'm well, sorry, that's him too. Oh, that yeah, was yeah, yeah, because yeah. well, he's you know his his band was on that label. Yeah, forgot yeah, about I think that. we did a, a awkward audition ish thing for Kill Rock Stars with you know we we played it for three people in Olympia because Olympia sucks. And <laughs> the show was at five p.m. and the show sucks. So yeah, but uh. No, originally it was supposed to be out on Trouble Man. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but, you know, I don't really know that guy at all. I mm. talked to him on the phone a couple of times. You know, what? there's just, it was weird even back then. It almost seems like the pre-internet era, even though it's not. It was very much the internet era. But yeah, it didn't take, I feel like it didn't take much to get a little bit of hype. And then suddenly you're getting emails from, you know, people that you never dream you get emails from. Right. So... But yeah, I mean, I think he, he caught wind that our band was breaking up and that we weren't getting along, so then he shelved the release. And I right. think that I, I paid for it out of pocket, and he was supposed to pay me back. Did that ever I, I don't remember. I don't... I mean... I mean, it was years ago, but still, I don't remember. Yeah. I think maybe he did pay me back, which is unusual for him, from what I, <laughs> from what I hear. Yeah. Okay. So that was sort of like... It was... It, the, the record was just in this... Uh, you know, no man's land. Mm-hmm. I don't know who owns it. I've got the masters. I paid for it. You know, so Nathan was generous enough to, mm-hmm. you know, reissue it, and, and he started putting out records again. Yeah. But even that was just a flash in the pan thing. It was reissued. You know, a hundred people in the world care. They <laughs> they buy it and then it's gone. So I'm kind of surprised that, you know, we're sitting here talking about this right, right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was there like overlap with your other bands? Yeah, there, there was, yeah, there was yeah. overlap, but that was more like that was. I'm not gonna say that's Nathan's thing. That was like not a serious band. That was okay. just like a, a joke party band that once again Ended spiraled out of records. control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how quickly after you and sleep and the rest of the members of Sleep you got together? I mean, and started writing songs and figuring out the sound of the band. How soon after that were you playing shows? I think we played a show like, like the first week that we were banned. Okay. Yeah. I lived in this crazy apartment building over... This would be an interest, the more interesting story than me. There was this apartment building over uh, by the Ross Island Bridge, mm-hmm. over by the French School. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I lived... We lived there. We always... Lady and I and well, all those guys, we always lived in bizarre places mm-hmm. just to save money and play music, so... There was this eightplex apartment building, and everyone that lived there was out of their mind. And <laughs> you would just mail your rent to somebody in Iowa, some old lady, I think. My Here. rent was 400 bucks for a two-bedroom apartment. Dang. And so we just decided to book a show in our apartment. Yeah, mm-hmm. in our in like in our apartment. In building. the apartment. Building. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I think I mentioned it to the neighbors, but you know they're all either half of them were junkies or. You know, or having their own shows, so it was just uh-huh. this free for all that you couldn't do now. I, oh, that band Growing, they played. Oh, I yeah. think it was maybe their first show, and I think okay, we booked the show for Growing in our apartment. Okay. Like imagine that, like one of these <laughs> bizarrely loud bands. Yeah, I can't remember if, if uh, Thrones played too. 
might have just been us, but okay. that was our that was our first show, and I think we were just like, um, yeah, we were just. Damn, I need to. I promised Joe from Growing I'd book him a show, and I dropped the ball, so it's gonna have to be in my apartment, and I don't know who's gonna open. So our beginning stage band mm-hmm. played. So we played, and you know, it was a lot of our friends there, and you know, and, and the feedback was was positive. You know, oh, that's which good. Surprised me because you know it's kind of nerve wracking. I'd rather play in front of a. I, I liked playing. Not that it happened very often, but in front of a lot of people I don't know. I don't like yeah. playing in front of my friends. You know, I get that because they know what I, what I'm really like. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's not punk rock at all. <laughs> yeah. So if it all happened really fast, I mean, as soon, yeah. I think Nathan was there because he's friends with Joe and me, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I want to do a record label, and I want to put your record out first. You know? Wow! But it doesn't seem like a, a huge coup d'état when it's like one of your best friends that wants yeah. to do it. But, even though he's in this band that was on the come up, it was not like you know. Yeah, you weren't like. Were, I think they were pretty big then. We we went on tour with them. That was like those were the biggest shows that we ever played. And that was up down the West Coast, right? Yeah, yeah. We did a West Coast tour with the Gossip, and, and I think Jenny from Marie Serrata. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. It was crazy. I were playing in L.A. and the, I think there were like 400 people there. All gossip and Ray Serrata fans, maybe two Sleep Me fans. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, wow, it yeah. helps to have friends like that, though, you know. Oh yeah, I would be, I would, I'd be nowhere without my friends. <laughs> so I loved uh, at the very end of the CD. There's a live recording of the band playing in San Francisco. Yeah, um, it's very short, like 15, 20 minutes long or something like that. But a, you know, a good full set. Was that pretty typical of a Sleep yeah, live show? Yeah, you can't do that for like. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen does it for three hours, you know? Robert Smith from yeah, Cure. Played, yeah. yeah, when you have songs, you can play for three hours. When you have... Well, the other thing that... I don't... I haven't heard that. I, you know, I haven't... I just don't go back and... I think a lot of people say this and it sounds pretentious, but when you when you work on music, I don't see the point of going back and listening to it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't go back and listen to it. I got the CD and the CD looks good. John, did, they did a good job laying it out, but I haven't put it on and listened to it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get that, yeah. So I have not heard the live thing, but, but you know, we would have like four or five songs and then we would always like tie them together so we you know it'd be mm-hmm. this one big blob because that goes back to what I didn't you know I liked what I didn't like about music I didn't like you know nice uh, ordinary people tuning their guitars and talking about t-shirts for sale and stuff like that I, I hated that so right I, I didn't really like the adult world you know because of my childhood and then mm-hmm. I discover skateboarding and and Dead Kennedys, I'm like, well, this is like the secret world that's mm-hmm. way different than this stupid adult world, you know? And so the first, you know, the first shows I went to were, it was like magic, you know? Yeah. It was magic on stage, and I, and I liked that. You know, and when I moved to Portland, you know, maybe it's island gigantism, you know, like in Madagascar they have giant spiders because it's a closed ecosystem. Alaska is sort of like that. Everybody's trying to one-up everybody else and you know, I moved to Portland thinking in Seattle, I spent time in Seattle, I thought it was going to be this big city experience, but it was actually super boring. The bands were boring. They were mm-hmm. tuning their guitars, talking about t-shirts, and thanking their friends. And I was just like, f*** that. Like, yeah. let's just get on stage, play, not stop. 
not tuner guitars. But I think I played a show where I had one string left. <laughs> yeah, you need at least one string on your guitar. At least one. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was the other thing with the tunings, you know, we're... If you tune your guitar to all F sharp, mm -hmm. then you don't have to, you know, stop and read. Nothing, nothing. You know, you just when I see that, I'm like, oh, these people are just mortals. They're not. They're not. They're not magicians. They're not the gods you put exactly. them at. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. I'll have to go listen. Maybe I'll go listen to the San Francisco show and see what it was like. But, sure. But anyway, when you when you're all, when you're going all catharsis, you can't do that for a half hour or forty five minutes. Yeah. You have to make it short. So it was more practical than anything else. Okay. You know? That was one of John Cage's kind of criticisms of rock music. He hated that it was all. He hated rock music that was all climax. Mm -hmm. So you can't have all. You have to make it short. Yeah. If you're going to do that is what I think. enjoy playing live I loved playing live that, yeah. was, my, that was my favorite mm -hmm. yeah and especially with that band because you you the whole you know if you play music like that you can't be like you know sipping the, your, your plastic water bottle and wearing a cardigan you have to go like all all in you know yeah so that means I don't drink anymore but back then it meant like get drunk and just throw your I mean everybody there were a lot of great bands that were like you see shows back then and everybody's like jumping up and down and oh, yeah. smashing guitars and so you just that was fun and you had to try to one up that mm -hmm. you know and I think that that was the funny thing about the, the band and it's like life in general I think we played some shows that were like god I just want to fucking move back to Alaska now that was terrible and then we played other shows where I was like you know it was, it was I was like proud to be a part of something that made people that excited mm. you know so it was it was really hit or miss you know okay yeah but I, that was my favorite part was, was playing live and I never had any you know I would have more you know one on one social anxiety but playing in front of people I never cared I never had any anxiety or anything you know I get that but it helped me really drawn too I suppose <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you remember about the uh the sessions that ended up resulting in the album uh, we were super disorganized that's what I remember and yeah. like we had to go like I don't think Laney will remember this way but there were a lot of those songs had no lyrics so I was okay. writing we, even though we did not even though we pretty much hate is a strong word but we hated each other at that point we would still meet up and write lyrics you know and organize the lyrics at night and arrange the songs because you know it was not arranged <laughs> so we were doing that and then having to get up early the next day to go meet Jeremy and I didn't want to waste Jeremy's time I was, sure I didn't you know I didn't want to since I was like furring the money I didn't want to spend too much money <laughs> yeah so it was it was hectic as hell I wish there was more time to we're like listening to it and I'm like okay we don't have, we don't play bass live we have amps that are bassy but when you listen to the recording it's like this sucks so then I had to go back and add secret bass to all of it oh okay you know? 
so stuff like that. It was disorganized. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Jeremy, for <laughs> organizing it. I definitely, I, maybe he won't remember. I definitely remember thinking that he was getting annoyed with some of the disorganization. Sure. But you know, whatever that sounds like, that, that, I think if you think it sounds good, that was mostly him. Okay. If you think it sounds bad, it was it was all me. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys weren't getting along by the time you guys got in the studio? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember getting along. Yeah, I mean, I always, I think I always got along with Alder. Yeah, I don't know. We just, I don't know. I mean, I know why Laney and I didn't get along. You know, you ever, you ever broken up with someone? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can imagine. Yeah. But I mean, I, I can, I can only speak for myself. Like I always thought that, you know. Everyone else was a idiot, and everyone else was difficult. And then, slowly over the last few years, I was like, I realized that I'm actually difficult and an, an idiot. You know, so mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't. Uh, we, I mean, we were young and kind of wild, but I always like position myself as the, the neutral observer. Okay. But I'm not. But I re- lately realized, you know, that I'm not. That I. You know that I'm difficult. You know, yeah. but you have come back around, and are you know are you, are you friendly with everybody in the band these days? Uh, I'm. You know, like I said, I, I threw a fit when I found out. You know, I don't I don't speak to Laney. You know, I, I'll speak to anyone that wants to talk to me. You know, but there's no reason to right now. Uh huh. Um, I think Charlie and I got into. I think we got into a fight about the reissue. Actually, they wanted to use different artwork than the cover that that we used was a black and white version of the original cover. Okay. Because I, you know, I saved the original Trouble Man art, mm-hmm. and so I was like, why don't we just use that? That's what we agreed to. You know, what was it eight years earlier? Yeah. They wanted to redo it. They wanted to use the the, the picture that they used on the CD. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just didn't. At that time, I was like, "That's a stupid picture, and I don't want to use it." And I have—I saved the original art, goddammit, You know, yeah. Knowing that this might happen one day, or that I would put it out, and you know, Nathan didn't want to use that picture either, and he's paying for the rec- he's paying thousands to reissue this thing. So right. I sort of was like, pulled rank and was like, "No, we're not doing that." And I think that off. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, di- I'm not. I'm di- <laughs> I can be difficult. The duo known as Zyle have zero expectations for their music. As you'll hear in a minute, bassist Morgan Ray Denning and drummer Isaac Bush can approach their music with the heart of the DIY punk scene that they grew out of. They want to play loud and weird music, but don't seem to really care if it gets heard outside of their basement. That may be why they've only played five shows to date. The Portland scene, though, is beginning to take notice, in part maybe because of Morgan's membership in the beloved group Purple Rhinestone Eagle, but likely due to the fact that their sound is pretty fascinating with swirls of guitar weirdness meeting some really brutal drum work. The pair are set to take another small step into the spotlight this weekend with a performance at the Ceremony of Sludge on March 6th at the Kenton Club and the release of their first EP entitled Five later this year. 
To learn more, I sat down with Morgan and Isaac of Zile at the X-Ray Studios last week. Morgan and Isaac, thank you so much for being on World of Noise today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Let's get a sense of your backgrounds as musicians. Where and when did you start playing music? Well, I started playing music, uh, I guess I was like 21 or so. Um, I was always kind of part of a punk scene when I was a teenager where a lot of guys played music, but mm-hmm. a lot of not a whole lot of women did. So um, I started um, playing music with, with women about that time, and that really felt inspiring to me. So um, I kept doing it, and... Um, yeah, I formed uh, my first band, and it's kind of been something I've done ever since. Cool. And this was was this in Philadelphia, where you're from? Um, or from the, you're from there, right? You're, or you spent some time there? I've spent some time there. I spent four years there. I uh, grew up outside of Buffalo, New York, in a little town um, on the Pennsylvania border. Oh wow! Um, and then was like, I I need to get out of here. <laughs> and, <laughs> So um, moved to Philly, and it was really cool. It was great to you know have um, a, a, a real punk community with like a lot of people involved. Not just like I lived in like I said a little tiny town, so the punk scene was very very small. Sure. So um, it was I was lucky to have you know what we did, but it was like American Legion Hall, and that was you know <laughs> that was it. So um, yeah, it um, you know having house shows and all these venues and all these outlets and all these people was really cool and. Um, I started uh, Purple Rhinestone Eagle with uh, Ashley Spongen and Andrea uh, Genevieve, and she um, and I actually had known each other from Western New York. Uh, we had mutual friends in college, oh, and wow. so I knew her from even before Philadelphia. Um, so, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So what about you, Isaac? Uh, similar to Morgan, I grew up out on the East Coast in Connecticut, not too far, but, you know, still pretty cold up there, uh, <laughs> especially this time of year. Um but uh, yeah, like kind of, uh, you know, quick run uh, off was like I grew up skateboarding and then that led naturally to like uh, energetic, aggressive music, mm-hmm. got into punk rock, started playing guitar. Uh, and I played in a lot of like post punk, coming up punk, mathy type bands through my early, you know, 20s. Mm-hmm. This was mostly back east and then had like one thing that kind of went on for a bit. And um, it was a, you know, it's one of those things where bands come and go and you invest a lot of time and energy. And then in retrospect, once that, band kind of you know dissolves you're like left standing like oh where where do i go now and Mm -hmm. so i spent a lot of time playing music with various people throughout the years and then um nothing quite panned out in a way that i felt like it was either sustainable or really like clicked right i was friends with uh ashley and uh morgan back from philly so after they uh, relocated out to portland oregon um i came out here about a year later but there was like you know the whole like kind of like diy element of it in terms of like um trying to kind of like like create music and something that like feels like pure in a sense without Mm. it necessarily being dictated by like you know money or politics or whatever but just kind of so um morgan and i just were friends from back east and then um after purple rhinestone eagle was no longer playing anymore um we kind of like passively i thought talked about jamming and then um yeah, we just kept jamming for a long time and eventually <laughs> it kind of became what it is, which is now Zyle. But 
I have switched uh, instruments primarily from going from guitar to percussion. Oh, okay. Uh, in the last like 10, 15 years. And um, yeah. Was that a comfortable transition? More or less, yeah. Um, I always felt like drawn to drums and um, I still jam on guitar and stuff too, but I felt like uh, the main thing that we really like discussed was just that we wanted to do something that was like free of guitar and um, wasn't really like having like a little bit of a semi non-traditional approach to writing and having it just be the rhythm section mm. um, and not really having that like lead floating over top. So trying to figure out how to like write and construct music that felt complete and full without it being um, driven by your like traditional setup of like guitar bass and drums. more about that but I do want to ask about this idea of the DIY sense and doing everything yourselves and um, I'm also wondering uh, if part and parcel of that is the experience Morgan that you have with Purple Brownstone Eagle of like being in a band that was on a label and doing a lot of touring and stuff like that uh, do you feel with Zyle that you kind of wanted to scale things back a little bit and do things a little more organically or a little, a little more low key maybe? Yeah definitely it, uh, Purple Brownstone Eagle was like my whole life for a really long time and what I where I lived and what my job was and all of these other things were sort of you know, second to whatever made that work. Um, so I was sort of ready to have it not be my top priority all the time. Um, <laughs> Having it be such a thing that, I mean, the way that people reacted to it was amazing and really fun and one of the reasons it was totally worth it and fantastic and powerful and all this stuff. But um, at the same time, there's this weight in having this interaction all the time and these expectations that start happening. And I just kind of felt like being free of all of that, like not having anybody see or hear what I was doing for a long time felt really freeing. Okay. And not having a guitarist to have to follow at all um, was also really freeing. So um, I've always, I'd, I'd, in the past, I'd come up with, you know, weird bass parts and <laughs> guitarists I've played with would be like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> you know? And now I get to just play those weird bass parts. And so that's, that's fun for me. Nice. <laughs> yeah. there is some precedent for this style of band of just a rhythm section um, you know Godhead Silo is the first one that comes to mind um, I know there are others that I'm spacing on right now but was were you did you have that in your mind of, of like sort of artists or touchstones of a sound that you were looking for when you guys started jamming together or was it just you know you guys sort of work this out as you went along um, I feel thing. like yeah yeah for yeah. sure um I mean, big business is always like, you right, know, a big, one. like, you know, they're a lot of fun to, to, to watch and listen to, of course. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, the, but then there's just bands that do heavy stuff, but differently, you know, stuff mm -hmm. that, um, 
like we both like home a lot you know like it's pretty but it's also dark and heavy and right um you know so things that sort of aren't just riffs off of the same like blues riff that like you know like we're definitely like, i would say we're there's a little stoner rock at us but you know not i just there's so it's much of totally that dialed like, up. Yeah. yeah yeah um and i have just started using a ton of pedals and that has been the inspiration for a lot of songs honestly are just the tones and the way that the drums and the bass sort of interact and the way that um things kind of resonate things sort of organically came out of of that and so I think we started kind of coming up with loose concepts and the more they, they tied together, those circles started happening in the music too, you know, and um, that sort of uh, let things come together a little bit more. So I think like it was sort of, you know, figuring out how to play together, figuring out how to make something sound full enough or big enough or like enough was happening without a guitarist and without a lead singer either. We both do vocals, but I wouldn't say either of us is a lead singer at all. So Right. That is a really distinctive part of the sound is the vocals. They're not necessarily buried in some of these songs. They are pretty present, but it's not like they aren't a driving force of these songs. It's more about the music and the rhythm and the textures you guys are getting. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted it to feel more like a texture than than, than something up front for sure so um yeah but we also um it's it's definitely kind of the last part we we seem to put together <laughs> you know so yeah. it's like okay now it's time for vocals <laughs> there's sort of a natural evolution to the way that we write and and it and it changes too like we'll have like a version of a song that we play a certain way for like years and then all of a sudden we didn't even intend for it to but it's kind of evolved into a, and I'm think I think that's like a normal thing for bands songs tighten up and shift and change and like you know like a lot of my favorite bands and some of the earlier um, like interviews and things that I read uh, coming from you know musicians like uh, you know bands like Fugazi um, bands like Tortoise were like that there doesn't need to be this like definitive version of a song that like a recording is an instant of it and um, every single time you play that song or that music it's already changed because it's never the exact same version anyways so in that moment in that singular experience of like playing that song whether it be in a studio or a live setting or at home practicing you know like it's kind of more like we're trying to channel this thing that without necessarily like we like we have a, a strange writing process i think like we will jam on a part per se for a while and then i think um like without i mean even like being able to articulate what we're trying to do it kind of just we find this like language where uh, Morgan will play a part and I have to come up with a drum beat per se and like eventually they'll both change from what they initially start and kind of evolve but also there's kind of this like push and pull of like communication trying because neither one of us is necessarily formally trained mm. I mean I don't know but I, I should speak no, myself I, but, <laughs> but yeah like I you know I grew I, I just like taught myself to play drums and I taught myself to play guitar and that's just always been my approach is kind of having a weird trying to find like a weird dissonance or perhaps a melody or something and I think with like the tonal textures that Zyle um, sort of uh, channels via like some of the pedals Morgan uses and some of the dynamics that we sort of do with like allowing certain reverb or feedback or something to almost dictate the progression of the song um, where it's a balance between almost being a color palette and like a metronomic structure mm. um, I think uh, it ends up having kind of an interesting result where we're both I still think really driven to write heavy aggressive music but also to allow it to have breathing room.
Did it take a while as you were finding this sound and rehearsing and playing these things out? Did it take a while before you felt comfortable playing live or recording? I don't think I ever feel playing live comfortable <laughs> playing live or recording. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I mean the title of whatever we're, I don't know if this is an EP or what but we have a recording coming out finally okay. after like a physical manifestation of it um, <laughs> not just digital tangible and um, but um, we named it five like the Roman numeral five because it took us about five years to write this particular set of songs um, there's a lot that kind of fell to the wayside in yeah. between and stuff that you know happened and then never happened again but yeah for this to completely evolve into what it became was that and honestly it's funny we're kind of done now so we're releasing this for the first time but it's over for us and <laughs> you've we're, moved past it already yeah, yeah completely completely we and we've only in- played five shows <laughs> <laughs> and this is our sixth so we're, i guess we're laying it to rest yeah this is it's funny so it's like the not it's not like a release where it's like now you're you know go into the world and live it's like this is your funeral it's it's we're, we're this is a tribute to the the set and we're we're like you know waist deep in a, in the next set already and I just really wow. want to focus on that. <laughs> yeah, you guys, uh, you know, uh, uh, that sounds like the trajectory of a stand-up comedy set, like a live. You know, if you yeah, see yeah. these, yeah. you know, they record these specials and then they put all that material to bed and have to start from scratch yeah. once to get more. And so, oh yeah, that's where you you, you two are at. I think any mm-hmm. kind of creative pursuit that that's sort of like the uh, like you have to find your peace with once the product is done it's sort of a bittersweet feeling because you've invested so much time and energy into this thing and then it exists and then you have to sort of just like reconcile with like what's next like what how do i continue to move forward because i mean in any facet or creative pursuit in my life i'm trying to like never just be satisfied because i find that to be like the driving force of creating the next thing is Mm -hmm. like it's not necessarily trying to achieve perfection or anything like that it's more just kind of like this curiosity of like what else can i do like well, what it's fun to try to just do whatever like better yeah. than the last time you did it you know yeah. like can i just do better than myself you know and that's yeah. like one of the nice things about you know not playing out a ton is that's really what it comes down to is we just have to be better than each other and ourselves each time and that <laughs> you know what i mean yeah but, <laughs> Was there some sort of design behind the fact that you know the, the the first batch of music that you've released has been on on Bandcamp, and just been like single songs? Are are those completely separate from the record, the EP that's coming out, or are they connected? They're, they're part of it. Okay, um, but the EP is in a particular order and has a lot of uh, samples that sort of um, start and connect the the whole piece together. So it it doesn't really have any any even i talk about negative space it doesn't have any moments of silence at all throughout the the entire piece Mm -hmm. um so it um uh as a piece is very different i think in effect than the the songs as individuals um the way that they they connect and change i think um sort of affects each other they they kind of you know play off of each other a little bit in the set and so um part of it yeah so those 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 songs are part of the set but okay. there's more of it that sort of make it a cohesive um like piece of of music i want to hear more about these samples that you're using in your music i, I did hear some in the the band cam tracks that are out there mm-hmm. uh where do you find them and what are you looking for when you're trying to find a sample to use in your music um 
for this the the piece that that I'm we've been talking about with this tape that we're releasing, um, we had this old record about. It was like an anti-drug record for kids. Um, <laughs> and so we took some parts of it and sort of slowed them down. And it talks about, you know, thinking that you're, you're God and, you know, there's reaching these like these peaks and these these like low points <laughs> and trying to make it sound, you know, they're making it sound like it's this nightmarish. Right, scenario, right. You know, and which, you know, it can be, I, I suppose. It also you know. has this like feeling, this underlying feeling of like this kind of like uh propagandist like almost dystopian authoritarian feel to it we're in the process of trying to sort of like you know um you know like uh uh, institute these ideas around like how drugs are bad and all these misconceptions and everything they actually like it almost feels psychedelic and like surreal phase three develops as an acute awareness of sight sound and touch it is during this stage that hallucination set in This set that you're going to be playing at the Ceremony of Sludge Fest on the 6th of March, uh, is that going to be the new material? Is this going to be sort of the end of the material that you're about to release on cassette? This is the end of the the cassette material, so um, the end of of the past. The end of of an era already. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Yeah, um, but I'm really excited about our, you know, our new stuff. And like I said, I, I really feel like I want to just focus on that. And for samples coming up, we're making them ourselves a lot more rather than just like, you know, recording something and okay. working it and changing it. So, um, like thunder machines and keyboards, and you know, <laughs> so it's it's going to be a little bit more involved. But I'm really looking forward to that stuff. So that's the you know samples for the future i I think you know we're we don't rule out the idea of something like found sounds and stuff and like modulating that but at the same time i think we're really interested in um trying to um just utilize some instrumentation or some other like means of recording found sound and uh perhaps even just like nature and stuff like that because a lot of the themes and ideas we have um pushing forth have a lot more to do with like i think um sort of like nature and seasons and like shifts and change and this sort of like idea of like an organic evolution um life we, and death you know all that sort of mm-hmm. sort of thing yeah for sure um and how deaths are our births and you know things like that just you know yeah. the end of of old and beginning of new and you know i think that it part of that is <laughs> really shows that we are ready to move on probably from yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah, it, we, we work at, at our own time, pace but I, yeah <laughs> i really love it though i, I think yeah. the, i think the tape is great it's just we play it totally differently now than than is even on that recording oh, sure, so yeah. you know it's like the the set at the at the kenton club might be our our very last um time playing it it might not be but i think it probably will and it's cool to have this one moment in time that is the way it existed then, but right. all the other times, you know, are, are in the ether and there's one more coming. So that's kind of cool. That's <laughs> awesome. So what can you tell me about the beyond just the samples we're talking about? Has the sound of the band have changed or evolved considerably from what we could hear on the cassette or what we'll hear on Bandcamp if someone went to your Bandcamp page right now? Um, yeah, I would say that 
we've embraced subtlety a little more with this new <laughs> yeah. new set. Um, I think it's fun to play fast, so there'll always be some of that for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, with my pedal acquisitions, it's been fun to play around with with tone and you know, um, kind of layering those things. I love my freeze pedal. I can't I can't get enough <laughs> of freeze pedal. So it's just you know, I just have been um, you know trying to to fill out layers of of bass and i just got this 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 new pedal this um old blood noise um signal uh director that um you can play out of multiple amps if you want to so i think that that might be something fun to play around with very cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) because i think like initially like when we started writing a lot of our stuff had a almost like uh more direct pacing and like kind of like just like I think we talked about stuff like Melvin's and stuff like that and wanted to kind of have like a more aggressive approach. Um, and then I, I think that like we've learned to sort of like allow more breathing room to the songs to the point where with talking about like things like, you know, negative space in the songs or quiet parts and like um, even just like, like odd time changes or tempo changes or like whatever, like um, there's a sort of like even like more like discipline around the patience of that because sometimes it's tempting to want to just like speed a song up or play it fast or have like a song you know be this more aggressive thing when you actually set out to make it a little bit more controlled and like uh kind of creating this like sense of tension through the dynamics or like having control but never really having that full release of something and Mm -hmm. i strive for that a little bit especially with like where we're moving ahead uh just that tension in music and sometimes it feels like it's a reflection of like the you know our environment and our times and everything you know because there is this feeling of like tension brooding lately and i feel like it manifests into our music and um if anything it's like you know just a response to like what we're dealing with daily because usually we'll often practice after work and we'll be like a bit stressed out from having a long day and it's just like our creative process is probably affected by that i imagine to some degree you know so definitely yeah well it's terrible to have to like feel like you have to squeeze your creative time in around the you know capitalist life that we all maybe not all of us but a lot of us participate in so true and so you know that's that's endlessly frustrating of course i would love to be able to spend spend more time with it but um i think that's partly you know why we we move sort of slowly as a band but at the same time (laughs) um we haven't burnt out at all so you know there's that there you go yeah we know we never i think like the thing about this is like we've taken periods of time where like we've had personal things going on and you know step away from the band for a little while and then like uh, it picks up right where we left off and rather than having this kind of like these goals that we like sort of self-prescribe to ourselves about what makes a band successful I think just creating the music and letting it perpetuate VR friendship and not having it be like pressure well we don't ever pressure each other for the most part you know what i mean like mm-hmm. sometimes we'll kind of like feel like we get like the fire under our ass when something's coming up finally like a show or like <laughs> we have to record or whatever yeah. but in general i feel like we kind of just like um we yeah. do this because it just really like it feels right to yeah and this you know, is the part of our lives that's not supposed to be successful yeah. or sh- whatever you know so right. it's like you know why i've never it's not going to be like that <laughs> you know this yeah. is i need a few you know those those hours uh, you know of the week that it's just about like feeling vibrations and not about you know the everything else yeah it's like <laughs> the, my from only you not from outside yeah yeah, yeah.
does that also extend to the fact that you, as you said, have only played five shows? You're about to play your sixth here uh, on March 6th. Um, is it, was that part of it that you kind of uh, did want to put the pressure on yourselves to like play a whole bunch and be like you know yeah. the super active band that we didn't a lot know of people we, want to? I don't think we ever we didn't even plan to play shows when we first started playing. Yeah. You know, there's some bands that it's like we got a show. All right, we got to write some songs now. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was like no, we're the opposite of that completely. You know, so yeah, um, I think we try to remove this like sort of. Um, I think a lot of like the drive sometimes for musicians, there's an element of ego. that comes through and it's like you know i mean it's not to say that like we we're we're above we you know like i want people to in whatever capacity they hear the music or see the music um if they like it cool if not cool like but like if you're into it like that's awesome and that makes that moment even more special um and if there's a response to it that sort of naturally evolves cool but i don't want to have these sort of like drives that are motivated by things that are underlying like um issues of capital like having to like make money as a band or have it be a business or having it potentially corrupt the purity of what we're trying to do Mm -hmm. and i'm not trying to have this like holier than that approach to music or anything but it's just like to me this feels like the one thing that isn't corrupted by having to like have like any sort of expectation um i've known musicians who've had varying degrees of success and sometimes you think people who really can make a career out of music are happier or like living the dream and it's like i've seen otherwise i think a lot of people really struggle with like that balance of when they're like oh crap i got a record deal now i have to produce and it's like or i have to tour and i don't want to tour or i have whatever kids family and it's like hard to tear yourself away from that and rather than there being this pressure on this thing of like time or having to put music out in terms of the quantity versus the quality i'd rather take decades to produce (laughs) a record but have it be like something we're happy with putting out he's late a lot (laughs) (laughs) that's true too so if you want to hear uh what you if you want to hear more of zyle head to zylemusic.bandcamp.com if you don't already know it's z-y-l music.bandcamp.com you can find them at on facebook and if again if you want to see them live they are playing march 6th at the kenton club as part of the ceremony of sludge uh, morgan and isaac thank you so much for being on the show thanks thank for you having so us That's all for this edition of World of Noise. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to my guests, Morgan Denning and Isaac Bushkin of Zile, and Nate Preston of Sleep Mute Night Mute. Tune in next week when I'll be joined by electronic musician and sound artist Patricia Wolf to talk about her career making music and making sound libraries for synthesizers. And the members of the punk band UV's Take 5. That is, they choose five songs that are influential or important to their development as a band and as musicians. All that next week on World of Noise. Until then, thanks for listening.